Welcome, this is Tom Pacello, the ROI guy. Welcome to the Evolvers podcast. My guest today is Paul Liberator. Paul is currently the Director of Sales Enablement for the Americas at Tricentis, a global leader in automated software testing tools. He's a veteran sales enablement pro with Tenfold, Mercury Gate International, and Welch Allen. And that's where we had the first opportunity to meet and work with Paul. And he's not only a practitioner, but he did have a stint with sales enablement provider Seismic as their customer success leader. He's worked in sales enablement and training for the past 30 years, and I can't wait for him to share his experience and wisdom with us today. Welcome, Paul. Tom, thanks very much. It's great to be here. I always love to understand how folks got their start and how did you get your start in sales enablement? Yeah, I think uh, it's kind of an interesting story. I, I like to tell people that I didn't really choose sales enablement. I was really kind of doing the job uh, when people started recognizing enablement as, uh, as a discipline. So I actually started off uh, as an instructional designer and a trainer putting together product training for an industrial pump company. And uh, one of the groups that I was responsible for training was, was our sales group. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of a lot of technical product and sales training for them. Uh, then I moved to another manufacturer uh, of forklifts and also did sales onboarding and sales training and, and product training for, for their sales team. But that was, uh, you know, the late 80s and early 90s. And mm-hmm. we just called it training at the time. So yeah. I was nothing fancy, fancy like the sales enablement or sales readiness names we have today. Right. Exactly, exactly. So that's, that's kind of what I was doing. And uh, uh, just kind of was was there when uh, enablement came along. But uh, I think it's been a great trend. And it certainly has advanced the, the discipline. Awesome. Now sales enablement, it can mean different things to different people. Uh, I know there are a bunch of different definitions that have been floated around and, and up and down. How would you define it? What do you think is the main focus of sales enablement should be? Yeah, you're right. There are, you know, when you talk to other practitioners, there are just there are about as many definitions and variations as there are people doing it. Uh, not to mention executives that are recruiting or hiring for it. So, it is important, to, I think, to, to try to pin it down. I've actually taken a systems approach to what enablement is, and let me tell you why I do that. So, as I mentioned, I started off in instructional design, putting together training, delivering training, and um, I always found that training was uh, plan B. What, what do I mean by that? So if there was a performance issue, the leader, the executive, the manager would say, oh, we need to buy a software tool. Uh, let, let's, let's go get some software. That'll fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when that didn't fix the problem, they'd say, oh, go get the training guy. Let's go, let's go get uh, Paul in here and let, let's, let's train him. That'll fix the problem. Uh, and that often didn't do it by itself either. So it didn't really take me long to figure out that you, you needed to look at the whole system. You needed to look certainly at the people as far as their skill sets, motivations, um, job setting, right? All the things that can go into the person, mm-hmm. but you also need to take a look at the processes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, were they organized? Was it, uh, was it well run? Did, was there a lot of waste in the system? Uh, are people actually being, um, uh, punished for doing the right thing or 
uh, being rewarded for doing the wrong thing. So let's look at the processes in place. And then finally, tools. So for me, uh, sales enablement is really looking at the people, process, and tools that go into the uh, revenue-generating part of the organization. And so that's kind of a holistic and process view of it. But uh, I, I think that's, that's what gives uh, companies the edge is when they, they look at all of those things combined and not just, you know, it's sales training or it's uh, product training or it's, uh, you know, a, a tool or a technology. It's really all of those things. Absolutely. And like you said, how they work together as an optimized system, I think, is the key. So tell us about one of your best sales enablement programs when kind of everything seemed to work out just right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, I, I think probably one of the one of the best examples um, was um, probably uh, seven or eight years ago. Uh, I was responsible for uh, essentially taking a very successful uh, kind of relationship-based selling team and helping to transition them into um, more of, uh, at the time we were referring to it as the uh, the challenger model, the corporate executive board's uh, challenger model, which um, has evolved since those days. But at any rate, um, and so my, the, the first thing I was tasked with was let's find a, a selling methodology that will drive us to, uh, you know, the new marketplace. Uh, as I got in and again, using my holistic approach, I thought, well, you know, we certainly can do uh, some training here that, that that's part of it because we, you know, we need to close some skill gaps and improve, uh, uh, improve some competencies, but that alone isn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we ended up doing uh, I started off just uh, by myself, but as I was eventually able to add a team member or two, um, we did a few things. So we actually conducted some Lean Six Sigma workshops to look at the pre-sales process and the sales process and actually streamline that and align a lot of the uh, activities that the sales force um, did to what the other parts of the organization uh, also needed, whether it was manufacturing or uh, order processing, et cetera but also uh, take that streamlined process and actually uh, incorporate it into our, uh, into our CRM system. Mm-hmm. So really to kind of uh, smooth out the process, right? Get, get rid of waste in the system, get, get rid of downtime, uh, get rid of redundancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing we did was we launched um, a sales methodology training that uh, proved to be uh, uh, very effective. Uh, and then we launched a sales enablement platform and uh, handed out iOS tools. So putting iPads and iPhones in the hands of all of our salespeople. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that, that sounds like a lot, but the reason I bring it up is I think probably one of the, the uh, better successes of my career is because we actually pulled it all together and did it all at once. So I had a lot of people, um, both with partner organizations that I worked with, as well as some of uh, the executives internally, really thinking that that was uh, a bold move. That was a lot to do in in one one felt swoop, if you will. So um, the way we uh, managed to do it successfully was uh, on the inside, uh, internally, myself and uh, uh, the person who worked for me, 
managed all the details, pulled everything together, um, made sure that everything worked together coherently. But to the external facing world, as we trained on this, as we messaged on it, as we uh, built the change management program, we really managed it as just one, one change, just mm-hmm. kind of one flip, flip the switch kind of, kind of change. As of, as of this date, this, the system comes online, the training happens, um, you get the tools, you get the training on the tools. Um, the tools all corresponded to each other, so the sales methodology was baked into the enablement platform, yep. which yep. synced up with the CRM system. So we pulled it all together, and really we did, uh, we did flip a switch and had just uh, great success and great adoption. And I think that was because mainly because we made, we made it a simple change for the, for the sales force. It was complicated. Yeah, even though as a duck, you know, on the pond, you were swimming real fast underneath. Uh, no one saw that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think as well, one of the, the big successes there, it was a people process technology change as well, because you mentioned it is kind of that optimized system. You had all three elements that you were launching. Difficult to do, but you um, changed the entire system out. And I think that was really important. Um, I have witnessed challenger programs that have focused a lot on maybe the the training part mostly. And Mm -hmm. because the sales team is not armed with the insights, they're not armed with the point of views that you need to by industry and by role communicate, you know, the the uh, education and the learnings that you need to do. Um, they don't have the process map to it yet in the CRM system. So they're using one kind of terminology there and another that they learned in training. And I think that's where a lot of the challenger um, change management falls short. I love the program and I love the method, uh, but I've seen folks roll it out piecemeal. And so I think a lot, a lot can be learned from your more big bang implementation that you had the, uh, the pleasure to be able to deliver to the team. Any comments on that? Well, I, uh, just that I completely agree. I, I really do think that the reason it was not just successful from, from my perspective, as far as, um, a successful launch and change management program, but, you know, the revenue results and the number of reps who, um, or the percent of reps who were able to hit quota, both mm-hmm. direct sales and, uh, and, and, and partners or who, uh, who were able to hit quota, the, uh, the number of what we, what we categorized as large deals, uh, over a certain revenue limit, um, all of those went up, um, and, and really pointed to the success of the program, from the organization's perspective, as opposed to, you know, I felt good about doing a good job and people liked it. That was, you know, true and it was great for me, but I think more importantly, we can all point to, uh, everybody who was a part of it can point to the revenue results, the tangible Yeah, the business results. outcomes, absolutely. So I, I also think not only can we learn from those successes and those great programs and the lessons learned there, but sometimes learn a lot more from our failures. Um, did you have any uh, sales enablement programs that, <laughs> that didn't work out so well as, as the one you mentioned? Absolutely. I, I don't think you can do this for I don't think you can do anything for 30 years without uh, without mm-hmm. some uh, some opportunities to learn. Uh, True. I guess you say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, you know, one that that comes to the top of mind is uh, there was a uh, situation with a um, a smaller organization, relatively small sales team, 
um, private equity owned. Um, so they weren't going through investor funding, but they were, they were privately held and uh, a small company, um, kind of a, uh, I guess you'd say a 20 year old uh, startup, but um, the, uh, the, the board of directors had um, uh, added some new uh, executive staff and the executive staff coming in were huge advocates and supporters of sales enablement as a, uh, as a discipline and as a function mm-hmm. um, and brought me in to essentially uh, create a sales enablement program, which has sort of become my, um, my hallmark. Uh, organizations mm-hmm. often bring me in if they're, uh, you know, even, even at a, an older, more mature company like Welch Allen, uh, which was a hundred years old uh, when I was there, um, they'd never had a sales enablement function before. So that's sort of been what I've done throughout my career uh, is going in and, and creating sales enablement functions. So that's, that's what I was doing here. The one, uh, the one catch was that the, um, the co-founders, uh, both of the co-founders, one of them being CEO, never really bought into sales enablement. Uh, you know, what I was doing there, uh, the, the, the really didn't buy into the whole, um, uh, change management program, and uh, and and honestly, you know, just never saw the need for it mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of the things that, that the team that the team did. So, a um, couple things that that came out of that. I mean, first of all, um, it was interesting that from a metrics perspective, we were actually pretty successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, we put into place uh, training plans. We put into place. Uh, some, some tests and quizzes to assess what people, uh, people's skills were. We put into, into place certifications uh, to measure people's uh, success and actually started having really good um, outcomes with regard to penetration of new markets, revenue generated, uh, sales performance, et cetera. But uh, the, uh, the, the, the uh, CEO, um, essentially did not want to keep that uh, keep that any of that function going and actually eliminated uh, all of the, uh, the the new hires that the board appointed uh, less than a year after after I got there so um, you know it was uh, it was just one of those things where you know it, it no I guess the bottom line is the lesson learned is no matter how good the work is that you do um, and how high you think you're brought up in the organization, you've really got to have all of the stakeholders from top to bottom aligned and yeah. at and least bought in, in, in yep. the, and bought in. And, and in the story of this, of the structure of this organization, uh, it was really enough to just have the CEO and the other co-founder not really buy into it to just, it, it didn't matter. All of the success we could have reported, um, you know, Myself, my boss, my one over, um, and several others were just essentially let, let go in the you know in a week one summer. So, wow! Um, well, yeah, great, but, great lesson know, learned though in terms of how executive leadership can lead to you know, can drive success, but can also be just an incredible impediment to to submarining the program. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, 
with that, I know you've got experience on both sides, on the solution provider side, as well as, as you said, kind of that sales enablement, not just a practitioner, but a builder of, of programs where they don't exist. And I've got a piece of research to run by you. So CSO Insights had this great research and they said, you know, if we look at 2016, 2017, sales enablement as a practice, spending on technology, uh, hiring in the area, it grew 80%. So really an incredible growth over that year. And then all of a sudden we hit 2018, 2019 and essentially flat. It grew about 1.5%. What do you think is, is the cause of that growth slowdown with your perspective of being on both sides on the tech provider side as well as the practitioner side? Yeah, I, I can only speak to, to my experience. I, I have seen some of that research as well. I think there are a lot of good um, a lot of good theories as to why that's happening. From my experience, I think, you know, enablement uh, is sort of in danger of becoming a, a fad or a phase. It was mm -hmm. like a lot of things in, in the corporate world. One company does it and says, hey, look at the success we're having. And then um, lots of other companies want to replicate that success, right, rightly so. Uh, you benchmark against organizations that are doing well, and if that's something that seems to be helping, then then you go for it. Mm -hmm. um, the to me the the benefit the benefit of having decades of experience, as I as I said at the beginning, is is uh, having done this for a long time before it was before it was called a uh, enablement before that was kind of a trendy if you will trendy thing. So I think. Um, I'm not too worried about the job I do, and mm -hmm. and by that I mean uh, improving the revenue generating organization's performance. I think that's always going to be important. I think, and I I concur with that, by the way, Paul, because when you think about how much we invest in sellers and how much we yeah. rely on them for growth uh, at most organizations, exactly. it has to succeed, right? Um, or the company's got to completely change their business model, one of the two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So and, keep going. and I think when, you know, when you're, when you're focused on narrowly on some definition of enablement um, or you're not able to show the, the metrics, you tie it back to the business outcomes. That I think is where you get into, into trouble. All right. So yep. to, to, to me, I've, I've always, and I think it's that instructional design background. I've always um, strived to be able to to show uh, results uh, from a business perspective and tie those back to what the what the company is trying to accomplish overall. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think if you're able to do that, then uh, you know it doesn't matter whether it's it's called enablement or sales training or enablement uh, or uh, revenue enablement. Um, so. Yeah, I, I certainly have, have seen the same thing. I've seen, as you said, when I when I worked uh, more as a, a consultant for other organizations, I saw people with, uh, you know, senior VP level roles and enablement uh, eliminated and, and entire enablement functions uh, disbanded or brought down to one or two people. And, and I suspect that um, that had a lot to do with an inability to, to really um, – High the investment to the uh, to the benefits. Yep. Um, there's a lot of money that goes into all of these different 
you know, a sales enablement platform, a, a coaching tool, a learning management system, um, you know, all the integrations with CRM. There's a lot of money that just goes into the tool set. Then you've got the personnel. Then you've, you're pulling people out of the out of the field for for training. Uh, there's a lot of investment that goes into enablement, and I think you can oversize that unless you're doing it very strategically. And I think even if you are doing it strategically, if you're not able to tie all of that investment back to revenue and business outcomes, um, you know, after a while, a good executive team and or board of directors is going to start looking at it and saying, well, why, why exactly are we spending the money on this? Um, let's just, let's just do a sales onboarding program and product yeah. training and yeah, pop the content into SharePoint and be done with it, right? <laughs> because exactly. there's cheaper ways always to do it. And, and that is, I think, a problem. I think a lot of organizations run um, very tactically. They run very much as a cost center, not as a kind of a growth engine, and they don't tie the investment back to the business outcome. So I think anyone listening, if you're running a sales enablement program today, if you're in whatever discipline it might be where you're supporting sales and trying to grow the growth, you've got to make sure that you're not going to be seen as a cost center and that you're going to be seen as a growth engine for the organization and tying the investment that's made to outcomes and making sure there's an incredibly positive realized ROI, I think is going to be essential. And that gets me to my next question. I was perusing through the Sales Enablement Society, which I, I, I believe you're a member of. Um, in yeah. fact, probably one of the early members like I was. And um, mm -hmm. there was a great question that was posed. It was, are we going to see with this downturn with kind of the shock and the, and the hangover that we're experiencing, are we going to see the death of sales enablement as a result? So how do you think sales enablement as a practice is going to maybe suffer over these next two years? through an economic slowdown or flourish? Yeah, uh, great question. It's often been said that one of the first places an organization cuts is, is training. And having been a part of kind of your standard human resources, employee development, employee training department, uh, I, I can attest to the fact that that is one of the places that in an economic downturn like a recession, uh, they, uh, companies look for less expensive ways of, of delivering training. Mm -hmm. um, but getting back to what we were just discussing, mm -hmm. uh, I think if you are tied to the business outcomes, you're strategic about it, and you can show results. In other mm -hmm. words, uh, I, I will more than pay for myself in um, in revenue and goal attainment, then I think you're on much a much better footing, specifically as it has to do with uh, our current economic and, and global issues. Um, one of the things that has always kept me satisfied about being in sales enablement is the fact that customers and markets are always evolving, mm -hmm. right? So as, as they're changing, Selling has to evolve to, to, to stay with our customers and our marketplace. Mm -hmm. So uh, really, one of the keys in doing that is making sure that your sellers have the right ecosystem and the right training and the right uh, skills to be able to keep up with an ever-changing uh, selling environment. So perhaps we move to a lot more 
remote selling. We moved to a lot more, um, not just doing things um, in a more isolated setting, but, you know, companies are looking at, at the, they're reprioritizing, right, where they're spending their money, where they're spending mm-hmm. their time. Um, they're changing the way they buy. Uh, perhaps instead of getting large groups together in uh, committees, as had become um, very uh, common lately, uh, now they're, they're going to start going back to one or two people that are collaborating um, remotely. So all of these are going to change how a salesperson uh, plans, um, conducts, and closes business. Uh, and the way that they're going to be successful, well, I guess there are two ways. They can just kind of luck their way through it or use their instincts, and some will be successful. Mm-hmm. Or you can invest in sales enablement and uh, and actually uh, help your whole sales force become successful in a never-changing environment. So yep, to and me, proactively do it, right, instead of having everyone exactly. just trying to react and some make it and some not. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, – uh, proact- I love that word. So a proactive organization who understands that uh, being able to adapt to new scenarios is the way to become and stay successful, even in uncertain times. And uh, enablement's a part of that. That, I think, is where enablement would, would flourish. Now, again, if, if an enablement program isn't able to uh, whether it's not able to do that or not able to prove that it's doing that, not able to show that return on investment, then that's where I think that, that they would suffer, that they would certainly be seen as, as overhead mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily, you know, improving the bottom line. Like, you know, we really don't need, uh, you know, three people to run a sales onboarding program when one person can do it via a Zoom call or something. So let's cut back, right? So mm-hmm. you got to be, you got to be smart about what you're doing all the time. Yeah. And agile, right? I mean, it's, this environment is changing a lot. You know, we are going to come out of this, these kind of travel restrictions that we have now. Um, We're going to come out of a work from home environment, but things are ultimately going to be different. And I do think that that landscape is changing a lot. So if you're in sales enablement now, I think you've got to be continuously evaluating what programs you have, what's working, what's not working. And you might want to blow up if you did have three people in your onboarding program. Uh, maybe you could do it with one remotely, mm-hmm. uh, but there are obviously other areas of sales enablement that may need to be addressed where you need to apply those resources quickly, like making sure perhaps you've got the right business justification because you're not going to get your proposals through proactively without a business case, right? Or maybe you don't have the right presentations and messages, messages that are going to resonate with this new environment or presentations that actually suit themselves for a remote selling engagement as opposed to one where you do it face-to-face or or in a meeting uh, with the stakeholders. So I do think that there's, we've got to be very adaptive coming into this new environment uh, if we're going to survive and we've got to keep evolving it, but evolve it more quickly than ever. Any comments about that? I think that is, is so well put. I, I, I guess I would, I would just say, I I totally agree with that. I think being agile and understanding sales enablement has got to understand how the market is changing and how customers are evolving almost, almost is the first people in the organization to do so in order to prepare the rest of the sales organization for the changes. 
you, you can't be reactive and you can't be slow. So absolutely, if you've got three people conducting your onboarding now and you can do it with one person over a remote call, then you can move the other two to better messaging, you know, creating better messaging and, uh, and putting together some uh, um, working with, with marketing around uh, uh, campaigns and things to get people who, uh, whose priorities and budgets have changed still see the, the, the value in, in the business outcomes you provide and the, the uh, uh, products that you, you can enable them with, then, you know, then you're being proactive and, and you're in good shape. If you're, if you're slow on the uptake, um, others will make the move for you. Awesome. So what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave the audience with today, Paul? Yeah, I would, I would say, you know, the, the old, I guess, cliche about keeping it simple, but um, I think people get into trouble when they over-engineer, when they, uh, you know, get all excited about buying, uh, you know, new enablement tools and launching all kinds of, all kinds of things. I really think that you need to understand the outcomes your business is trying to achieve and what's required to, to get there and, and right-sizing your your um, your strategy, your enablement strategy, to meet those, and then have a good a good five year plan that allows you to to grow uh, in a, an intelligent way as your organization grows. So so absolutely keep it simple and make sure that you've got the the data, the metrics, the ROI that you need at a moment's notice to show your 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 executive or their boss. Um, impact and the effect that you're having on the organization. Don't just count on uh, other people's uh, uh, good words and success stories to do the talking for you. Those are great, but uh, in my experience, when I've been able to walk into an executive's office and, and say, here's what we've done and here's what the results have been, here's what we're going to do and here's what we expect the results to be, um, it goes a long way the quantifiable results and outcomes are going to matter the most. And I completely agree that you can over-engineer a solution, you can over-buy. And a lot of times the simplest approach, as uh, Stephen Jobs always used to say, uh, is, is not an easy one, but the best approach that possibly could be taken. Paul Liberator, builder of sales enablement programs. Thank you so much for this interview today. Uh, you've uh, educated us with a lot of good lessons, a lot of good lessons learned, and I uh, thank you. Tom, it's been a pleasure. Thank you.